Okay. Well, it's very uh, it's a great privilege to be here this afternoon with you all. And uh, when the elders asked me to uh, share this psalm or one of the psalms with you, I couldn't but help but jump at the opportunity. Uh, for I'm compelled by one reason only to do this, and that is because of the love of God uh, that has been shared abroad in my heart. And uh, because of my love for the Savior and for the love for His church, uh, I'm here to, to, to share with you from Psalm 14. I know uh, Andy has just read for us from the psalm, but if you don't mind, as a way of just connecting with the scripture, if we can go back again and read it together. The psalm is in your bulletin if you need it. Psalm 14. For the director of music of David. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor. But the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word and may he enable us together this afternoon to open up the scriptures and see what he has to say for us. So looking at this psalm, we see that it's written by David. Some of you might know him, some of you might not know him, but he was one of the greatest kings of Israel. He started off his glorious career with an inglorious job of being a shepherd. And it seems like the Lord has uh, a pattern of choosing shepherds to be his, his, the leader of his people. Uh, maybe because shepherds have a lot of time to think as they're out there with the sheep. And thinking is a good thing. Uh, I am a teacher by occupation and I spend most of my time trying to get the students to think. Uh, sometimes there are moments of success but many times we feel that we fail dismally but all I can do is point to the truth and as much as what I'm doing here this evening but this evening's psalm is of a greater importance than any simple lesson that a teacher can present this psalm fits together with a greater argument that we've been working through for the last few weeks Pastor David has been laboring faithfully week after week as we've been studying through the series uh, through the epistle of Romans written by the Apostle Paul and as we've been working through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 uh, we, have been, we have been under some kind of a intensive uh, examination uh, prosecution of some sort so for those who are joining us this afternoon I'm, I'm 
why I'm telling you this is because you are joining us at a very critical time in this church. You are joining us at a time, perhaps the most important time that many of us will ever have. It's a time when God is examining our hearts. So this psalm was chosen for this reason, because the Apostle Paul uses Psalm 14 as one of the psalms in chapter 3 of Romans. And if you feel like you have had enough of talking about sin and feeling like you're being examined and that today was going to be a bit more light-hearted, I'm afraid to tell you that it might not be so comfortable this afternoon. But I'm also very quick to say that God is very kind and very good to us all. And because of His love, you are here this afternoon. Of this, I have no doubt. So, we will speak about this psalm in this context. The big thing that strikes us here is that it's as if David, who wrote the psalm, we're not exactly sure why, when he wrote it, and there are different views about that, but it seems like David is like looking at a situation in his day, and he's like kind of shocked on the one hand, like, you know, how can it be that somebody would say that there is no God? There must be a, they're a fool to say that. So he's shocked on the one hand, and then as, he reads through the, as we read through the psalm, it's like he's laying before us his thoughts, saying that not only is he shocked, but he's also saddened, because these people who do these things that are corrupt are also hurting God's people. And as a shepherd, he would know what it is like if one of the sheep, or any of the sheep's lives are in danger. So it's as if he's shocked and saddened. But also David was a man of faith. He had faith in God. And at the end it ends off with a moment of great expectation. David knew where his trust should be. It, is always, it should always be in God. And he knew that God would never allow his sheep to be in danger if he would not deliver them from it. So he's shocked. David is shocked at what he's seeing. He is presenting um, a sadness. He's like, it's sad what's happening. People are being hurt, it seems like. And at the same time, at the end, there is hope in his, in his heart that God will take care of the situation. And some of you might be in the same situation this evening. You might be going through difficult times. You might be coming from persecuted countries. Um, but God is with us. So, let's jump right into this. Uh, it's a bit unorthodox to do what I'm doing, but I'll break from a normal introduction and just add a little bit more, just to sum up what Pastor David has shared with us in the past few weeks. Uh, well, actually, he's been opening up what the Apostle Paul wrote for us, but just to put it into perspective, I like to think in pictures, so I hope this will help you as well. I'm going to use two pictures to help us analyze uh, what we have been learning from Romans, and then we'll slot in with Psalm 14 at the end. So, here we go. The first picture, the picture is of the law courts. Imagine if you go to a court of law, you walk in and there's the judge, and the, some countries they have the jury, but they have the prosecutors, the attorneys, it's the law court. And that's very much what's been happening with us as a church the last few weeks as we've been reading through Romans. Here are a few points. The law has come knocking at the door of our lives at my life and at your life the law of God notice has been served when we have been summoned to God's court of law the owner of all creation has been insulted 
stolen from, rebelled against, and treason is the verdict. The evidence is it's stacked this high. We cannot escape from it. It's undeniable. Our guilt is definite. The judge of all the earth has passed verdict already. We are all guilty. And we are awaiting for our day in court. And that day is called the day of judgment. It is a day that will come. And it is a certain day. But God has provided a way of settling out of court. Because God is good. He's made provision for rebels such as ourselves to escape from the wrath that is to come. And he's done this by providing a saviour. His son, our Lord and saviour, Jesus Christ. And if we humble ourselves, plead guilty to the charges of law-breaking, rebellion and treason against the King of Heaven, if we confess the truth of the charges that are laid against us, if we see our guilt, if we recognize the power and the pollution of our sin, if we cry out to God, He will hear us and save us from our sin. And we will escape the day of judgment. For Christ took God's judgment on sin upon Him, that judgment that belonged to us. The judge of all the earth has done what is right. He's provided His Son as a sacrifice for our sin. The second picture is of the medical, is a medical picture. I'm sure most of us have visited a doctor of some sort. So, the doctor's examination room. Under the searchlight of God's word we have been for the last few weeks, even if you are visiting us this evening, we are all under the searchlight of God's word, in the examination room of God. We have been x-rayed and scanned by the most precise instrument known to mankind, the law of God. It makes no mistakes. It x-rays, it scans in exact detail. We do not merely seem to have a common cold. We are not suffering from a a state of sniffles. We don't have a petty sickness. In fact, our condition is desperate. We have a terrible, terrible problem with our hearts. Our hearts have been laid bare on the operating table of heaven's doctor. Our diagnosis has been found to be critical, desperate, hopeless, And the future looks pretty dark. Death is a certainty for all of us. And the biggest problem that we have is sin. Sin against a holy God. And we all need an urgent heart transplant. That is what we need. In fact, we need a miracle. We need to have our hearts examined and restored, transplanted by the greatest physician ever known. But thankfully we have such a physician. He has been provided by the Father. He's given us His Son. Jesus Christ is the physician of our souls. He is the physician who can restore your life. And and though the situation is critical, there is still hope for all of us. And for those who are here this Afternoon, it is my prayer, and I know it's the prayer of all of us here, that you will not leave here with the same heart as what you've come in with. There is hope, 
And if you've wondered why your life is the way it is, why the world is the way it is, why we are on the brink of war, possibly globally, but definitely at the stage, not to be a, somebody who makes unnecessary fear, but look at Ukraine, look at Russia, look at the missiles that were shot here the other day, fired here. Why is the world this way? If you've wondered these questions, if you've wondered why you live the kind of life you live, the thoughts that go through your mind, the things that you do, if it's disturbed you, then you are in the right place. Because it's the best solution uh, that you could ever find comes from identifying the problem. And the problem that we all face is sin. But God is good. And He has provided this time for us to study His Word, or shall I say, for the Word of God, to examine us and to show us what's in our hearts. So Psalm 14 fits in here. Uh, as we've been, week after week, been going through the Apostle Paul's argument of our guilt, it's like this one more, this, this psalm is one more attempt because God is so good and that nobody can have any excuse. It's one more attempt by God to reach you and me with His Word and to show you the greatest problem that you have, which is sin, and the greatest solution that God has made available to all of us, which is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you are in the right place. So, looking at this psalm, now we jump back to the psalm, we see that they are basically, and you can see in your bulletin, I think they've printed it here, it says that the main point, when it comes to the truth of God, humanity is divided into two groups. The fools on the one hand, and the righteous on the other hand. According to this psalm, it seems like David is saying, yeah, the fools, these people are saying this about God, and they are doing these terrible things. But then they are also in, in the verse, uh, verse 5 and 6, they are, called, they are this group called the righteous and, or the poor. They are this other group. And they, are, they seem to be suffering under the, the persecution of these, of these fools. But all of humanity is divided into these two groups. And we're going to look at the main uh, argument here this, of this psalm, what the psalm is teaching us by using that as our key to proceed. We will look at what the Bible says about God. Because they're saying something about God. Who is God? If I ask you who God is, everybody in this room will have some kind of an idea. It might not all, we will not all have the same idea. And it's important, therefore, to look at what the Bible says about God. We will look, then secondly, at humanity. Who, who are, we? Why are we? Why are we like this? And then we will go on to look at, in your bulletin it says, we'll look at, let me just flip it over, the fools, who they are and what they're saying. We'll look at sin, which is the real reason why they act the way they do. And we'll end off with the righteous. So if you make some notes, please feel free to use the space provided for you. I will have some scriptures that I will share. I'm more than happy to share it with the church. We can maybe put it on the bulletin, on the WhatsApp group and go out from there. Okay, so let's go from here. So first of all, we need to look at what is God. Now, at this point I must warn you that this is high doctrine. We cannot just examine God as we examine the menu in a restaurant. God is the creator of all things. He is the creator of heaven and of earth. He is the one that holds all things together by the word of his power. God is the one that we are going to come now to 
look at as what scripture says about him and for those who love to study about God which I believe all Christians should enjoy doing you might be very disappointed in my poor attempt at presenting some points about who God is as I always say to my son Jordan God is greater than the greatest and the biggest of oceans and our little minds are the size of a teacup and how can we think that we can contain the greatness of God in our teacup sized minds but for the sake of this sermon I will identify a few key points maybe the words will be new for you but that's good it's good to have a bit of a challenge and you can go home and study it on your own so what does the Bible say about God? Okay, let me just go for it. First of all, it's, I must just clarify where I got this information from. Uh, I, quite a few years ago, I, I was studying through Spurgeon's sermons, uh, and I, just, I stumbled upon one of his catechisms. And he had a catechism that he presented, uh, that he prepared for his church. And for those who don't know who Spurgeon was, he was a very famous Baptist preacher. And he prepared a catechism for his church, which he compiled from the Baptist Confessions and the Westminster Confessions. He took his confessions, prepared this catechism. And I got hold of this and I studied it and I thought it was great. So I took this from that time. Uh, and basically, there are some key, here are some key points that comes from that. He took the, all that the Bible teaches, or these catechisms take all that the Bible teaches about God, and tried to put it in some key points. All right? We know that there's that famous, uh, the famous scripture where it says where, where Moses is before God on the mountain we know that one we'll come to that as well but these are some key points when we come to know about who God is so first of all God is the spirit John 4.24 if you are taking those John 4.24 God is a spirit and you, you should worship him in, in spirit and in truth this is contrary to what many people think and many uh, religions that they perceive that God is a, a grey-haired man. I say this with respect, the grey-haired man with a big body in the sky. But this is not true. God is a spirit. You know? John 4.24 God is infinite. This means, the word infinite means that there is no limitation to him. I mean, there could be, I could say much more about this. Each point can be exa- opened up. But basically it means that there is no limit to God. God is unlimited. He has no limitations like us. We are finite. That means we have a limitation. We can only be here right now and we cannot be somewhere else. But God, because He is infinite, because He is spirit, He can be here and everywhere else at the same time. And there's a word for that which says God is omnipresent. Omni means everywhere present. God is everywhere. What does that mean to us? It means that God is here right now. And as you are looking at me or listening to what I'm saying, or shall I say it, listening to the word of God preached, God is observing us. He is observing you. He is observing me. And He is observing how we react and interact with this truth that is presented to us. God is a spirit. God is infinite. God is eternal. The Bible says that He is eternal. That means there was never a time that He was not He has always been. God has always been. He didn't just start one day and then started existing. No. God has always been. We have a starting point. We were born into this world, conceived and then born, and we have a start. But God has no start. He's always been. If you want a scripture for that, you look at for yourself. Psalm 90 verse 2. God is immutable. This is a 
a theological word, immutable. It means he doesn't change. God doesn't change because God is perfect. He does not change. That's very reassuring because we change. I'm different from what I was this morning. If I have a nice meal, I change. If somebody irritates me, I change, sadly. But God doesn't change. He's always, always the same. And if you want a scripture for that, it's Malachi 3 verse 6. It says, For I am the Lord, I change not. It also means that God doesn't change in His being. Like, as He is, He doesn't change. I've already mentioned this now, but He doesn't change in and what He's like. I will increase in my speed as I go through this list. Like I said, you will be disappointed. But these are key words that you can go look up at home. If God is the Spirit, if He's infinite, if He's eternal, if He doesn't change, if He doesn't change in His being, it also means He doesn't change in His wisdom. And if He's infinite, which means there's no limitation, and if He's perfect, that means God doesn't need to learn anything. We need to learn something. We are always learning something. But God never learns anything. God knows everything perfectly, as it is. In fact, God knows everything there is to know that will happen in the future, has happened in the past, everything that could possibly happen, but will not happen. He even knows all those possibilities as well. God knows everything and every way and every shape and every form. God is all-knowing, is another word. His, his wisdom doesn't change. There's a fancy word for that as well, for those who want to know it. It's, God is omniscient. He knows all things. Psalm 147, verse 5. His it says that His understanding is infinite. Moving on to the next God is powerful. He's, he's, he's unchanging, not only in His wisdom, but He's unchanging in His power. The Bible says in Genesis 17 verses 1 and in multiple places and almost every page God is almighty. That doesn't mean that God is just has some might. It means He has all the might. Everything, all might is His. He is almighty. And we need an almighty God to take care of us and we need an almighty God to conquer our souls with His love. So that's Genesis 17 1. And then, God is also holy. God is holy. And God's holiness doesn't change. Okay, if you want a scripture for that, uh, maybe you can write down Revelations 4.8. I'll read this one. 4.8 says, and it, it mirrors if, uh, Isaiah. And the four beasts had, had each of their six wings about him, and they, were, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come God is holy there's a place in, in the Old Testament where this one man uh, when they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant from one place to another the Ark was toppling and this one, this one individual reached out his hand to try and stop the, the Ark of the Covenant where the law was kept in he wanted to stop it from falling off the cart it was a holy thing and he touched it with good intentions but he was struck dead because God is holy. We should not be idle with the things of God. God is holy. And God's holiness does not change. There's another place in scripture where it says God is a consuming fire. Which is a terrifying concept if you think about it. And it is terrifying. God is holy. But, uh, we, we carry on. Also it says God is just. or it, God is unchanging in his justice. God's justice doesn't change. 
we make a judgment based on information that's given to us, based on the facts on the t- presented to us, we draw a conclusion and we judge something. Sometimes we misjudge things, sometimes we judge things out of prejudice, but God judges with perfect wisdom. God sees a thing as it is at one glance. There's no, he doesn't have to work through the steps like we have to work through step one, step two, step three, draw a conclusion. God knows perfectly what needs to be done. God is just. That's why God cannot just turn a blind eye to sin and God is good God is very very good God is unchanging in his goodness sorry I didn't give you the verse for justice let me just go back to justice so you can write on Deuteronomy 32.4 if you're taking note Deuteronomy 32.4 is for his justice Uh, in the goodness of God Psalm 105 it says for the Lord is good his mercy is everlasting and his mercy and truth endures endures to all generations so the goodness of God doesn't change that's a good thing that God doesn't change. It means in His goodness, He also doesn't change. And that's why it's so good that you are here this evening. And then lastly, God doesn't change in His truth. In fact, God is truth. And all the things that we know that are true around us, we will never really know what they are exactly as they should be unless we can trace that truth to the source of all truth, to the fountain of all truth, which is God. God is truth. Psalm 117 verse 2 you can read that on your own so why am I telling you this okay, why are we going through this well this is my my feeble attempt to try and present to you the reality that there is a God in the psalm the psalmist is shocked that people would say in their hearts that there is no God like how, how can it be and I'm presenting these words to you these concepts about God it's the best way that we can to try and grab a hold of who God is as a way for you to start thinking about the reality of your life, of your soul, before a living God. You are existing this evening, this afternoon, this evening, before a holy God. He is alive, He is here, He is everywhere. God is everywhere present. And do you know Him? That is my question. Do you know Him, or do you just know about Him? And how do you know that you know God? So this psalm, the psalm that we've been working through this evening, asks some profound questions if you think about it. It's asking the question, what is God? And I've tried to present a few concepts about what we can learn about God. We can look at the world around us, we can see all kinds of things, and I could spend many many hours talking about many arguments for the existence of God, but you will see later that it's not really that there's not enough evidence for God. The big issue that we have is that because of sin, we are oblivious or ignorant of the truth of who God is. So, is God real to you? How do you know that the God that you are serving or praying to or thinking of is not just the God of the philosophers? What is the God of the philosophers? There are some really intelligent people who spend a lot of time looking at the world around them and they can draw conclusions that there must be something more to this incredible creation, this universe around us. They look at this, they say, wow, look at the complexity of all these things, and they draw us to some conclusion that there is a God, but how can we know Him? Maybe the God that you are thinking of is a philosophical concept and not the true and living God. Maybe the God that you have in your mind is like the AA. I don't know if you have the AA in your countries or in this country, but the AA in my country, South Africa, and I'm pretty sure in England as well, is the Automobile Association very famous, so you, you subscribe and like if your car break down, breaks down on the highway, give them a call, they'll come out, 
help you out, sort the car out, and you're good to go again. Maybe for many of you, God is like the AA. He's like what a tow truck service. He's just, when you're in trouble, you give him a call and he comes and helps you. Do you see yourself as you rightly are, in the light of the blazing glory of God? Well, God is near, and God is among us. As it says here in verse, um, where is it now? In the company of the righteous, verse 5, God is present in the company of the righteous. God is here. And in fact, even where the evil outside, in the worst of worst places in this world, God is there. God is everywhere. Okay. So, moving on. So, the, so now we've looked at what the Bible says about God, and now we need to look very quickly at what the world says about God. So, we have the atheist. This is the person he has spoken of. Somebody who says there is no God, that denies the existence of God. This is somebody who simply says there is no God. For them, material, the world around us, that's it. Matter, that's it. There's nothing more to this. When you die, you finish, and that's it. I would love to spend more time on that, but we'll leave that for now. So there's the atheists. These are the God deniers. And then there's another group called the God, what I'm calling, the God, the, 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 those who pervert the truth of God. These are people that take the truth of God and distort it, like we read in uh, Romans chapter 1. They make idols. They, they think that the God of their understanding, that, so they make an idol of who this God is, and they worship this idol. They worship, worship created things. So people that pervert the truth of God. Or people that say that there's another group called the deists, they say God is far away. But I will not go into much detail for the sake of time. But there are different groups that say different things about God. And it's my encouragement to you, and perhaps in the church one day or sometime in the future we can do a series on a proper study of the doctrine of God. What does the Bible say about God? Alright. So, why, now we move to the next point. Uh, we've looked at what God is, we have to look at humanity. Why is humanity like this? Very briefly. For those who are Christians, for those who know their scriptures, I, you'll know what I'm going to say, but for those who are visiting us, this might be new. So God, the, the one and only true and living God, He created all things. And He also created mankind, humans. Male and female, after His own image, He created them. And His image and in His likeness. And man was originally created to be like somebody who takes care of all of creation. We were, our job was to look after things, for, well, to be his representatives on earth, image bearers. But, as many of us know, what happened was that the devil, in the form of a serpent, deceived man to join him in his rebellion against God. And mankind fell from the glorious estate where man was first placed into a state of sin and misery. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible day when that happened. But mankind has sinned against God. So it's much like these great big mansions you get in some countries, or even this city here, big buildings. Once these were great buildings, but if you look at some, in some countries, I think it's places in Scotland, even in my country, there's some great big mansions, but they are empty now. The windows are broken, um, uh, vagrants have moved in, it's a mess, the walls have been smeared. It's abandoned, and there's a little sign that once so-and-so lived here, but they no longer live here. That's what mankind has become like. And that's why if you ever wondered, maybe many of you have thought, well, there must be more to life than this. I have this feeling inside me that there's more to this. I, I, I'm, I was created for something better than what I'm living. If you have that nagging thought in your mind, that is a small flashback of back in the day when God created man. We were created to be God's image bearers but it's been lost because of the fall. So that's what happened. So 
man fell and that's why the world is the way it is and mankind is the way it is. Moving on uh, to the next term which is sin. Well then, what is sin? Uh, we, spoke about it for, we spoke about it a lot over the last... Um, hang on, did I just jump? I did jump. Alright, I did jump. Well, let's go to sin in any case. We spoke about it a lot over the last few weeks. But to define sin, to really grab a hold of it, like what is it? Not like what are the wrong things necessarily, but what is it? And we've spoken about it in our home groups uh, and in, in, at church. But sin, if I can use another uh, quotation from one of the confessions, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Sin is when you will not, you refuse to conform, to, to, to obey the, the law of God and you break the law of God. This is sin. It's rebellion against God. It's disobedience to God. And then what does the Bible say about sin? So for this, very quickly, I'm just going to touch on a few things. First of all, uh, and then we'll come back to the full after that. And I must say this, uh, and I won't keep you much longer, but what I want to say is, maybe you're wondering, why do people have these views about God? Um, maybe you're not convinced of what the Apostle Paul was saying in Romans, and what David is saying here. Maybe you are still thinking that you're actually not that bad. But what does the Bible say about sin? And in fact, about humanity, people that are sinful. Well, there are a few key words. The one is, it says that uh, mankind is all mankind, all of humans are, we are all guilty. We've all broken God's law, we've all sinned against God. Romans 3.23 All are guilty, we've all fallen short. Not only that, but it says that we are ignorant. It says that we are ignorant. Sin makes you and me ignorant of the truth. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those, or foolishness to those are perishing, like Pastor David read. Sin makes us ignorant. We are in darkness. It's like somebody who closes their eyes. When you close your eyes to the truth, when you close your eyes, it's just darkness. That's what sin does to you. It, it makes you ignorant. And continuing on from that, sin makes you blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. The God of this world, the devil, blind, it says blind the eyes of people. So they are ignorant, they are blind. Sin corrupts your mind. There are many verses that I could give, but I'll just give one for the sake of time. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Sin makes your mind corrupt. You cannot think straight as you should. doesn't mean it's bad, as bad as it could always be, but it, it corrupts your mind. Sin also corrupts your heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Sin corrupts our hearts. So it makes us ignorant, blinds us, corrupts our minds, corrupts our hearts. And then it also says it corrupts our will, your ability. It says John 6.44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Or John, this one is a good one, John 3 verses 3 Truly, truly I say to you, Jesus says, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, unless he is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We can talk about the kingdom of God as much as we want. We can tell people the gospel, preach, preach it. But unless they are born again, they will not see it. They will not understand what we are talking about. So sin makes you unable to respond. And then lastly, or second last, sin makes you a slave. 
Uh, Romans 6 verse 7 says you are a slave of sin. Okay. John 8 verse 34 says you are a slave of sin. Uh, and slaves of corruption. And then lastly, sin actually causes spiritual death. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So you, sin causes spiritual death. You can read that for yourself. So the picture is a terrible picture. And for this reason, we go back to the fool. The fool is the way the fool is. The foolish people of the world, in other words, the unbelievers, people that don't believe in the truth of God, the reason why they have this terrible attitude towards God is exactly that, is they have an attitude problem towards God. You know? They have an axe to grind with God. It's like, uh, I knew this one guy that I worked with, and whenever we used to drive in the car together, if, whenever we drove past the police, or the traffic police, any form of authority, he would start speaking the most terrible words, and he would get so angry with the police. This man that I was my work colleague, he got so angry with any form of authority. And I thought to myself, that's exactly how we are by nature. We don't like the authority of who God is. So sin, sin does this to us. And this is the reason why the fool says what the fool says. And at the fool, the, the, in your notes where it says the fool or the fools, these are simply people that are governed by irrationality. They, though the truth of God is clear, though they know in their conscience that, that when they do wrong, they, they, like Romans says, they push down the truth of God. They don't want to deal with the truth of God. They want to ignore it. Why do they want to do this? Because it goes back to the Garden of Eden. The serpent, the devil, said to Adam and Eve, says, do you want to be like God? Do you want to be like God? And they were like, well, this is the temptation. The reality is the fool wants to be his own God. He or her own God. They want to be in control of their own lives. And this is why they are as they are. So, God is holy, God is here, God is everywhere present, God is real. We have a terrible condition, which is sin. Those who are in their sin still are fools. But then there's one more group, the righteous, and I'll end with this, with the righteous. Who are the righteous? Well, like somebody in our home group said, well, I thought all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's true, all have sinned. But there are a group of people who are called the righteous, and they are in fact poor. They know they are poor. They know their true condition. These are people who in God's mercy, they have, they have been confronted by the truth of who God is. The law of God has convinced them of their own sinfulness. They know their true condition. They've seen themselves in the light of the glory of God. They acknowledge their bankruptcy. They know that they are bankrupt. They have nothing to bring to the equation other than their sin. They know their desperate need, like I shared in the beginning with my medical picture. They know the righteous are people that know they need the grace or the mercy of God. They need a heart transplant. And if you are here tonight and your life is an absolute shambles, it's a mess, this is the hope. This is the hope that the gospel presents. The gospel is this. It simply says that though God is, well there is a God, and though He is holy and mighty and all-powerful, and though He looks down from heaven like it says in the psalm, in other words, looking over all of humanity at all time, though He knows your thoughts, though He knows your actions, though He knows the secrets of your heart, though there is this God who is unchanging in His holiness and in His justice, and though He is, He has proclaimed that you will be judged for your sin, Though he, is, though he is there, he is also a God that is good. And he has presented us his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the righteous are the people who believe in the original promise that God gave to Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, there will be two seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the righteous, the righteous seed. And the seed of the serpent, they are the wicked. And all of us once, upon, uh, once in our lives were under the, the group of fools. Some of us are still there this evening. But the good news is that God has made provision because of the promise He made that He will send a Savior who would take the punishment for our sins. And because of Him, there is a way for you to exit the realm of the foolish and enter into the realm of God's kingdom, the kingdom of His Son, and be a righteous person. God made that way possible. And it's not because of something you can do to make God make you more acceptable. It's what God has done. God has made you acceptable. He makes you acceptable in Christ Jesus. And this we call saving faith. But because of time, I must resist. I will not speak too much about that. So, in closing then, what shall we do then? Well, we are on a, you are on the horns of a dilemma. If you are here and you are not a believer, you can either remain a fool, and bearing in mind that I've said that what makes a person a fool is sin. sin. That's why my title is, Sin Will Make a Fool of You. You can either remain a fool, or you can accept the fact of the truth of God, acknowledge your guilt, acknowledge your sin, listen to the preaching of the word which God has given for your own sake, for your soul's sake, and cry out to God to have mercy on you. And if you, if you, if you truly see yourself for what you really are in the light of the glory of God, if you really get that moment in your life, as many of us have had, your breath will be taken away. <laughs> you will feel shocked at the condition, your true condition, when the ignorance and the darkness evaporate out of your mind and you start to see things clearly, you will run to the Lord Jesus Christ because you will see Him as the Savior. Savior of what? Savior of sinners. Savior of souls. So I want to urge you and I want to plead with you this evening. Do not leave from here without three things. Acknowledging that there is a God. Acknowledging or realizing that there is definitely something that you need to deal with in your life which is called sin. And recognizing that the only possible solution that could ever work for you is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other solution. I'll end with an analogy and I'll pray. I know a lady who suffers with her health. She goes from one doctor to another doctor to another doctor. She goes to this scan, to that scan. She tries this medicine. Then they say this is wrong with her. Then they, she tries the medicine for a while, but then she just gets back to her old condition. Then she goes to another doctor. She tries that medicine and it doesn't work. She's always moving from doctor to doctor to doctor. And she, she said to me, do you think I'm crazy? I said, no, you're not crazy. I mean, she really does have a medical problem. I said, you're not crazy. You're just trying to find a solution to your medical problem. And in the same way, many of us here seated tonight have been going from place, from one solution or one remedy for our sin, from one remedy to another remedy to another remedy, trying to find a way to fix the problem. Some of us have, in, in your life, if, you, if you're not a believer, some have used uh, all kinds of worldly remedies. Some have even used alcohol or drugs, ways of suppressing the pain or the, the, the darkness in your life. But these are not remedies that are going to fix you, they're going to make you worse. And you can try from, go from one religion. You can even embrace Christianity. You can come to this church every week, which is a good thing. Please do come. You can come to this church every week. You can listen to the preaching. You can even say a few prayers. That's not going to change you either. 
you have a better chance of getting to the truth by coming here, so please do come. The only thing that will change you, the only person that will change you, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But to know Him, you need to have a revelation of the truth of God. And then you will also be one who is righteous. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to listen to the word this evening and take it to heart. And when you are at home this evening before you go to bed, I pray that my words will still ring in your ears or the words of the scripture, that you will not go to bed, that you will not close your eyes and sleep until you have thought about God because there is a God and He cares about your soul. And this psalm this evening is a, a, a way of examining our hearts. May the Word of God do what He sent for it to accomplish. And may many of us here uh, see each other in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior when He returns. May I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this great opportunity that I've had, uh, that we've had to examine the Scriptures, to preach from the Scriptures, and allow Your Word to shine the light, the truth of who You are on our hearts and on our souls. Lord, we recognize that You are true, that You are God, that You are so near, nearer than our very breath. You are the most important thing that we would ever need in all of our existence. If it wasn't for You, we would not be able to survive for even a split second. You are God, and You hold all things in Your hands, and including our lives. And we thank You, Lord, that You've sent Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of our souls, because we recognize the sin that's in our hearts. May we not continue in our rebellion against you, and may we experience what John 17 verse 3 says. The Lord Jesus Christ said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We pray this all in your wonderful name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.